Well, it is uh, indeed good to be with you. Um, I hope that you will bear with me as we go along, uh, because I was uh, working on my outline on Thursday, and it was coming together. It wasn't quite complete. Uh, and then my computer crashed Friday, so I am preaching without notes for the first time in a long time. So hopefully I don't ramble and the Spirit of God can have free reign in what we cover this morning. But if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. We're going to read this morning's passage in its entirety and then I will open in a word of prayer. As we're turning there, I just want to... Uh, give a little bit of testimony to God's, the way God works, it's kind of interesting because we have monthly pancake breakfasts at uh, Grace and Truth Christian Fellowship. And I was asked to give the gospel yesterday morning and I was praying about what to preach on and I came to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And so I began to prepare a message on this familiar passage. And it was like God wanted me to live that through Friday, which on top of getting my computer crashing, I also had a part on my van break because of the cold and ice. And so... But God is really testing me, and He's also reminding me uh, to be careful what I preach. No, not really. But He does make you practice what you preach. And so, may that be an important thing for us to remember. So let's start reading from Luke 4, verse 16. <clears throat> For he came, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he found, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty, liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of them who were on the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him, and marveled at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was 
a great famine throughout all the lands. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill, on which the city was built, and they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and open the ears of our spirit, Lord, to hear what you have to share with us, that you would change us for having been here, that you would make us better, and that you would help us to more closely follow this man, the best of masters, as we learn his words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, as we went through last time, he went through this temptation in the wilderness. And we read about three specific temptations, but it basically says that 40 days he was tempted of the devil. And for whatever reason, God chose to give us the specific temptations that he did. But then Jesus comes from this experience and he goes right into the synagogues to teach. Now from a worldly perspective, this guy would not be qualified to be a rabbi and teach in the synagogues because he was a carpenter's son. That's why you see this response in the passage that we just read. This idea that this carpenter's son is saying these things. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. It says, He went to Nazareth where he was brought up. Okay, so if anybody believes in him, if anybody is excited to see him, you would think that it would be Nazareth because he was, he was brought up there. People knew Jesus. Perhaps he even uh, worked in their yards or whatever, you know, because if he was anything like us, he might have been looking for, um, for spending money and might have helped people out. And he worked as a carpenter with his father. So these people should know him. But he goes in where he was brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Jesus is such a good example to us. Because if the Son of God himself thought it was necessary to go to a house of worship and worship God, and He was perfect and He was 100% God, then surely we as imperfect people can see the value, nay, the necessity of being among the Lord's people on His day. It says in Hebrews, do not take the manner of some who forsake the assembly but rather assemble together more often as you see the day approaching. 
So Jesus was an example to us in this. And he must have garnered some respect already because he was invited to speak in the meeting. And he is given the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads this passage. And so we have it basically word for word. This is Isaiah chapter 61, the first few verses. And he says, says and he was handed the book, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And of course, we, we do see how he did this physically, because he did give blind people sight. And we see even that he set prisoners free when he allowed Barabbas to go free when he took his place. But Jesus is not just talking and not primarily talking about a physical freedom. He's talking about a spiritual freedom. You see, these Israelites and us as well, without God, we're in bondage. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because in John chapter 8, he talks about their bondage and they say, what are you talking about? We're in bondage to no one. And it's so comical in a way because they've actually been in bondage their whole lives. The whole, the whole life of the children of Israel, in many ways, they've been in bondage. First, they were in bondage in Egypt. 400 years they cried unto God and said, release us from the bondage in Egypt. And then, when he's talking to them, when they say they're not in bondage to anyone, they're in bondage to Rome. They're under Roman rule. Who is it that they go to when they want to put Jesus to death? They go to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and say, let us, or please put him to death for us because we cannot execute someone. And yet they say they're not in bondage. And so Jesus here is launching his public ministry. He's saying, this is what I've come to do. And he's reading their scriptures which the church, which the synagogue leaders were familiar with, and he's saying to them, I am the fulfillment of these things. I forget what the exact math is, but they say that to have all these prophecies in the Old Testament that refer to the Son of God and to have one man fulfill them perfectly is in some inestimable number that he would be able to do that. So there's so many proofs that Jesus was who he said he was. And he's simply reading the scriptures and he goes back and gives the book to the attendant and he sits down and everybody has their eyes upon him because they know that he's going to offer some teaching. So let's look at this again. It says, Then he closed the book 
and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all of them were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. I'm intrigued by the phrasing here. The gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. We are constantly taught, taught, taught in the Gospels about the way that Jesus spoke. There was one time when these officials of the Roman government went to arrest Jesus and they came back empty-handed. And the, their Roman leaders said, Why? Why are you empty-handed? Why didn't you just take him? And their response was, No man ever spoke like this man. And so then they say, is this not Joseph's son? Why is that? Because how can the son of a carpenter speak like this? How can he have this authority coming out of his mouth? Well, I'll tell you. Because the very words that they were hearing on that day are the words that the universe heard when God said, let there be light. It's the same words. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The same man who said to the world, exist, was sitting in that synagogue sharing the scriptures with them. That, to me, is a marvel. But we'll see as we go on that they missed what was going on, a lot of them. I wonder if some of them might have gotten it, but as a majority, they missed it. Let's continue on. He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said assuredly to you, Surely I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. There is another passage where it talks about, or probably a couple passages, where it talks about how Jesus knew the hearts of men and didn't need anybody to tell them about their hearts because He knew them. And it said that He chose not to do miracles in certain places because of their lack of belief. So now He's saying, you want me to do miraculous things for you, but you do not believe me. And now he's really going to make them upset because he's going to tell them about some Old Testament Gentiles who believed God and were rewarded for it. Let's look at this. It says, Again, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you many widows were in Israel 
in the days of the of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and you know Jesus had some pretty harsh things to say to Tyre and Sidon but it's in Sidon where he goes to this widow and he gets sustained through this period even though if you remember the story the widow says I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and I'm gonna make some cakes for my son and myself and after we eat them we're going to die but Elijah says if you give me of the flour and the oil and you feed me God is not going to allow you to die and your oil will not run out and your flour will be plentiful and the Bible says that that's what happened can you imagine if that woman had said I'm just going to eat my flour cake and give to my son and I'm going to die because I can't afford to help this man And then he references uh, the story of Naaman the Syrian. This is a guy who worshipped a false god, who was a leader in an army of a king that was godless. But something happened to Naaman. First of all, he took as a slave a young servant girl from Israel. And when he got leprosy, he, she said to Naaman's wife, there's a man of God in Israel that can heal Naaman. Now if they had just said, well, that's just a servant girl, it doesn't matter he would have died of lepers. But as the story goes on, you see that they somehow believed her and they checked into it and the king writes a letter to the other king, which I don't know why they were going through the kings because the, the servant girl said it's Elijah that can, can heal you. And the king's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I God that I can heal him? But anyway, they get to Elijah, and he says, Go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and you will be healed. And he doesn't even come out himself. He sends his, his servant out to tell Naaman this. And Naaman's mad. He is mad. He's like, there's no way I'm going to do this. There's many cleaner bodies of water than the River Jordan. And his servant 
which I don't know if I'd have the guts to do this, but he must have had a good relationship with him because he calls him my father. And he says, my father, if he had asked you something difficult to do, would you have done it? And Naaman at that point realizes that yes, if it was difficult, he would have done it. So he goes to the Jordan River. And he dips seven times. Now some people might have this idea that he got gradually better with every dip. I do not believe that. I believe that after the sixth dip, he was just as leprous as the first. But on the seventh one, he came out of the water and he was completely healed. And his flesh possibly was even better than it had been before he got sick. And he goes back and he says to the prophet of God, Now I know there's a God in Israel. And he says, I'm going to worship God for the rest of my days. Only pardon me in this one thing, that when I help my king bow before his God, that I not be punished for it. So the God of Israel was made real to a Gentile that day. So even in the Old Testament, we see God's mercy. And what Jesus was saying by relating these stories, is, he says, Sometimes these Gentiles, they get it more than you, and you are my chosen people. You are the apple of my eye, and you are saying no to me. So eventually, it's going to get to the point where I'm going to go to people who will say yes. Even if they're not of the seed of Israel. Even Paul, he tried to go to the Jews, and they gave him a hard time after hard time, and he says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, ultimately, that was God's plan. But just think about this. Think about all the hostility that came from Jesus' own people. Hence his proclamation that a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. So all the people heard him and rejoiced because he came. And believed on him that day. No, that's not what we read. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now you would think, at least from a human perspective, that maybe after he says all this stuff about a prophet not being welcome in his own hometown, that they would say, wait a minute, Jesus. Let us prove you wrong. But instead, they proved exactly what he was talking about. And they dragged him out of the synagogue and they went to throw him off a cliff. And somehow, he passed through their midst. You ever think about this? They're about to throw him over a cliff. And he passes through their midst. And goes his way.
In the next verse, we won't get too far into this section, but the next verse says, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. So he didn't get scared away from his mission. It wasn't like, oh, I, I better take a break. Maybe I'll take a two-year hiatus and they'll feel better about me later. No. He went back and did the same thing. To me, this passage about him passing through the midst of them shows me the ultimate truth of what Jesus said in John chapter 10 when he said, No man takes my life from me. I both lay it down. I lay it down. For this was... Uh, and I lay it down. And I have both power to lay it down and to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they came to take him. And if you look in John chapter 18, you'll find this. They come to take him and he steps forward, protecting his disciples, even to the end. He says, whom do you seek? And they say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Let these go their way. And this, what does it say? It says the people fell backward. And again, again from a human perspective, you fall backward by the very words that this man speaks and you would think that they would turn back and say, maybe this isn't a good idea to arrest this guy. Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe there's more to him than just a simple carpenter. But instead, he yields to them and they take him into custody and they try him illegally and then they nail him to a cross of wood. Hands that did nothing but create a world and give us all things richly to enjoy. And feet that walk the dusty pathways of Galilee. Teaching in the synagogues. Helping others. Healing those who were helped. You know, sometimes I wonder about the people that Jesus healed, whether some of them heard about Him going to the cross at the time that it was happening and wondered how that could be. But remember the blind man in John chapter 9, when he was healed, and it was obvious because it said that he was blind from birth, and so anybody that didn't claim they didn't know him from that area was lying. He was cast out of the synagogue too. He said, because they said to him, you are a sinner and yet you teach us? As if they weren't. Verse 
Because no grasp of the law is going to save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ is going to save you. Whether Jew or Gentile, the path to salvation is the same way. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the exclamation point of that sacrifice was when Jesus rose victorious over the grave. Those Jews in that synagogue did not accept Jesus as their Redeemer. And sadly, there are many Jews today that are still looking for the coming of a Redeemer who has already come once and who is coming again. How blessed we are to not only have the ability to know about Him, but to know His name and to have Him know us. My question to you is, do you know Him? Not do you know about Him, not do you go to church every Sunday, but do you know Him? He says, He has been sent to heal the brokenhearted. I can attest that He has healed my broken heart. I uh, had a lot of struggles as a young man. Struggles with self-acceptance. Struggles with what God did when He put me in this situation. But He has showed me over the years that He has given me a purpose. That He's given me a calling. And He didn't, he didn't necessarily say to me, look at all the equipping I've given you. No. He equipped me when I was willing to accept the calling. Please know this. I think God loves to come to people. You look at Moses. You look at Gideon. You look at Mary. And there's many more that we could mention. People that have no business in a worldly sense having anything to do with anything major. And yet God says to you and to me, the prerequisite for me being able to use you is for you to realize there's nothing useful in and of yourself. Because if I take you off of the scrap heap of life and use you, then I'm going to get all of the glory and you are going to be blessed. See, the biggest reason why these leaders, when Jesus went into the synagogue, did not get blessed, did not realize what he was sharing with them is because they thought they had it all together. You know, we're okay. We know the book of Isaiah by heart. 
but they didn't know the man that the book talked about. I know I've said this before, but it's so important to me that we grasp this, that you can know all the words. But if you don't know the author, it doesn't do any good. So do you know the author? Are your sins cast from you as far as the east is from the west? I hope and pray this is so. If you need to talk to someone about your eternal destiny, I'm sure there are several people in this room who will be willing to show you how to know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and that you are headed to an eternity in heaven. Because there's only two possible eternities. Heaven or hell. And they are both very real. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones who have gone there before me. I'm looking forward to getting out of this wheelchair. I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior. As Fanny Crosby said, I shall know him, I shall know him. And redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him. By the prince of the nails in his hands. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a Savior who was willing to do everything that you asked him to do. We thank you that he was just as alive in the Old Testament as he was in the New, as he is now. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls and for giving us a new lease on life. I pray that you would be with anyone who has not yet made that decision, that they would do so today. And if they have, that you would encourage them, reinvigorate them to go forth and serve their King. In Jesus' name.